Job chapter 33, beginning to read at verse 24. Then he is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God and he will be favorable unto him. He shall see his face with joy. For he will render unto man his righteousness. He looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned, and perverted that which was right, and that profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Though all these things worketh God oft times with man, to bring back his soul from the pit, to be enlightened with the light of the living. Our second reading is in Job chapter 36. Just two verses, Job chapter 36, verses 18 and 19. Because there is wrath, beware, lest he take thee away with his stroke. Then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Will he esteem thy riches? No, not gold, nor all the forces of strength. Let's pray. Father, take every heart, every mind, every spirit into subjection to the name of Jesus. Every distraction and opposing thought. Bind it now in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray that tonight your word again would find a lodging place in the hearts of men and women. That even your children, the blood-bought, would be rejoicing for their salvation is so great. And Lord, if there's one unsaved, Lord, that they would cry for mercy unto you. And call upon your most precious and holy name. So Lord Jesus, we thank you. And we ask you now to settle us in your presence. And help us and give us listening ears. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. I want to speak tonight on the one and only ransom. I'll mention it again. The one and only ransom. You see, in our scriptures, we have two ransoms mentioned. The first one is in Job 33. Job chapter 33 and verse 24 says, Then he is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. I have found a ransom. And when we're looking at this, we can see in the first portion of our reading no less than three times the Word of God tells us that man and woman unsaved are going to end in the pit. In the pit. Now, when we look at the next ransom, it is in chapter 36 and verse 18. 
He says, because there is wrath. Notice, because there is wrath. We hear people say all the time, God is love. And listen, God is love. It's an attribute of God. It's his character. He loves you. But God has wrath. He, God doesn't sit in an attitude of wrath. God is love, but he has wrath toward the sinner and their sin. And so it says here, because there is wrath, he warns you. In love, he says, beware, lest he take thee away with his stroke. Notice, then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. So here is a ransom that cannot deliver you, a ransom that cannot pay for you. And even it says in verse 19, will he esteem thy riches? No, not gold, nor all the forces of strength. In other words, will God accept anything you have in your hands at your disposal for your ransom? Can you come to God because you belong to a certain church? Can you come to God because you have trusted in a certain denomination? Can you come to God because you have wealthy, wealth accumulated? Or is there a so-called purgatory that you're pred out of, which is imagination of man? There is no purgatory, friend. There's nowhere where you go for a while, even after death, and are pred out or pred out. It's heaven or hell. It's the palace of the king or the pit of the devil. And there's a ransom. There's one and only ransom that God will accept. And it's the ransom which he found. It's the ransom which he sent. It's the ransom which he paid. It's not the ransom which men nor women can come to him with. Cain and Abel, before Cain killed Abel, they come to the Lord. Cain has the fruit of his field. He is dug well in the field. He sweat in his brow. And when he brings uh, the, the very uh, fruit of the ground, and he brings it for an offering unto God. God had no respect to it, and God would not accept it. Even though he labored hard, and he worked hard, and he tried hard, and yet Cain tried hard, and Abel comes with a sheep, a little lamb, and he slits its throat and sheds its blood, and God accepts that blood. God accepts that. You see, we would look at that and say, well, how, how could God accept such a, a cruel, barbaric act as to slit the throat of a little lamb and shed his blood? Friend, I can tell you, we could say on the other side is, why would God send his only begotten son, his only lamb, to be hung on a cross, to bleed and die for you, and you reject him? We worry more about a little lamb in the field than we do than the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But here we may say, why so cruel? Every time a lamb was slain, every time a heifer or a bull or whatever was slain, for a sacrifice unto God in the Old Testament. And every time we look at the cross of Calvary, where the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood and died for us, we see the barbarity of it, and it reminds us of the barbarity of our sin before God. That's what it should remind us of. How God views things, because he poured out, when they sang it, his wrath upon his son. The wrath of God was satisfied on Christ and in him. Notice the ransom that was found was found by the Lord. Job 33 and verse 
24, he says, deliver him. Deliver her. I can hear him tonight. Deliver her. She doesn't know me. Deliver him. They're not saved yet. You're not ready for, you're not ready to meet me. You're not ready to die. Deliver them from going down to the pit. The Lord says, I've found a ransom. He sent his only begotten son, the ransom for our souls. To pay the debt we could not pay. To live the life we couldn't live. To keep the law we couldn't keep. And he sent his only begotten son to pay your ransom. To buy you in, to buy you back. Now notice this. The speaker of these words come from a young man of three friends that come to Job. There's Bildad, there's Zophar, and Elihu. And it's Elihu, the younger one, he's concerned at how Job and his other two friends, Bildad and Zophar, are talking one with another. And first of all, we read that, well, that's why you hear the old saying, Job's comforters, they didn't comfort him at all. They blamed him. They point the finger at him. They said, you must have done something wrong. And all of these things were happening. And Job said he had lost everything that he had. He had lost his children. He had lost his home. He had lost his livestock. He had lost his respectability. He says even that the drunkards were laughing at him and calling him names and singing songs about Job who had fallen from a great height. He had lost his health. He took a pot shirt and he scraped his skin with a pot shirt with the itch driving him insane. He was in torments every day. He sat in ashes in the dust to try and cool himself and as a sign that he was repentant before God. His two friends come and they heap scorn upon him. And the youngest one, Elihu, he's watching the conversation and then he sees the pity parlor and the self-justification and the self-righteousness that Job starts to talk about of himself. You know what self-righteousness? I'm not a bad man. I wouldn't deserve hell. You know what self-righteousness? I'm good enough. You know what self-righteousness? I go to church. You know what self-righteousness? I pay into the church. I'm on the roll, I'm on the register, and all this sort of stuff. All of this, you see, Job was coming, and he was speaking like this. And Elihu says, could I speak up here? Could I say something? And so Elihu, as a last resort in Job chapter 32, he says this in verses 5, reading onwards. Job 32, verse 5. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young, and you are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid and durst not show you my own opinion. I said, death should speak a multitude of years, should teach wisdom. Notice this. But... He says, you're older than me. Your years should speak more. You should know better. How come you don't know the things of God? How come your wisdom is limited? Verse 8, he says, but there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. This young man, because he's young, Paul says to Timothy, let no man despise your youth. In other words, Timothy, look, older men may say, oh, I'm older than you, son, and what would you know about it? You see, when God is upon a man, and when God is upon a woman, and when the anointing is upon them, they see things even the older ones don't know or see. 
because they've been dead for years. Some people say, I've been on the road and I've been walking in this church for 50 years and sometimes they're not on the road, they've been in the road. Religion has kept them being in the road. There's no salvation. Here this young man steps forward. He says, I'm listening to you, man. You're older than me and I'm younger. Let me give my opinion. And I know that you have more years on me. And I know you are meant to be filled with wisdom. And I'm meant to be learning. He says, but with the inspiration of the Almighty, let me speak. He speaks with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Here the word inspiration is the word neshama. Neshama means with the breath of God. With the wind of the Spirit. He says then let me speak the wisdom of God. Let me tell you the mysteries from before the foundation of the world he's saying. Let me tell you the great mysteries in the courts of heaven. Let me tell you the great mysteries in the mind of God before he formed the very worlds. Oh, he says, the inspiration, the neshama, the wind and the breath of God on me. Let God speak through me, he says. And oh, let your ears be attentive and listen. Oh, friend, would you let your ear be attentive tonight and listen? If you have never listened before, will you listen now? Let not the youth of this young man put you off. I remember my uncle. I remember my uncle Jimmy was, he had been ill and he had a big V, all his toes cut off one foot except for the big toe and the wee toe. And then I went back to see him again, he had the leg on the other leg cut off here. And then he had his arm cut off here. And I kept saying to him, you need to get right with God and tell them the gospel. And he took six heart attacks. And I stood one day and I says, Uncle Jim, you've got to be saved. He says, they all called me Kenneth. He says, Kenneth. He says, I went to Sunday school. Now he was a rogue. I went to Sunday school. And I said my prayers when I was a wee boy. And you know, the old time I would have dropped into the Church of Ireland I belonged to. I have no worries. He says, oh, Uncle Jim, in your years of wisdom, you're missing this. You're missing this. You're missing the Christ of it. And he says to me, I was about 30 at the time, 31. He says, you're just a young man. What do you know? I pleaded with him and he wouldn't listen. And he went out into eternity without Christ. Without Christ. I wasn't long saved and I preached to his son. Oh, and I preached to his son. I asked him, do you know the Lord? And his son didn't want to know. And he was gone down with nine bullets in the head. My cousin. There's nothing left of him. And into eternity without Christ. Shot dead by a Republican gunman. 
Hey, brothers and sisters, friend, if you're not saved, don't you dare walk out those doors tonight without making your calling an election sure. Giving yourselves over to Christ. I could tell you many a story. I could tell you if my friend got into the car and he says, I'll pick you up, and he was driving around the, around the corner in Belfast at York Street and he rolled his car and he killed himself stone dead. There was always another time I'd meet him. That afternoon he was dead, 18 years of age he was. This young man comes and says, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Almighty is on me. He says, would you listen? Is there someone here and you're not saved? Would you listen? Would you listen? The term here of the Almighty, it means El Shaddai, the the Almighty God. And this young man with the inspiration of the Almighty God becomes angry at three men because of their character flaw. Because of their lack of wisdom and their should know better. There's many of people who should know better, but yet because we're dead in trespasses and in sins, they die without Christ. Chapter 32 and verse 2, it says, Against Job was his wrath kindled. Notice, you think the man had went through enough. Look, don't, don't be saying any more to him. You might put him off the gospel. Do you know all day today, privately online, I've had a man harass me all day today. Told me to stop preaching the gospel, and he's a man with a collar. A minister privately messaged me, flat out, all right to the very last moment I left the house tonight. You believe that people must be saved to get into heaven. And he kept berating me all day, and I just kept sending them scripture back. And I says, you're like the devil himself who doesn't want people saved. And he kept sending it and sending it, and he started getting angry and calling me names. This is a, he calls himself an ordained minister with a full collar on. He says, you'll put them off. I says, put them off What? He says, when Christ arrests a man and a woman, Christ saves a man and a woman. When Christ arrests them, I couldn't put you off. If I put you off, then Christ isn't dealing right. He's not dealing with you at all. Notice this. It says here that Job was more concerned about being right in the sight of himself and making himself right looking in, at the sight, in the sight of men. And every man seems to think that he can justify himself, herself, with their own deeds and more, more, more top morality, deserving God's heaven. But even Job feared and evil, feared God and astute evil, and he was upright in all of his ways. Yet he wasn't good enough. Do you hear that, friend? Hast thou considered my servant Job, God says. He said he's a man who fears God and is too evil. And he's upright, or perfect is the word in the King James. He's upright in all his ways. He's religious. But he 
He's not finished work yet. He's not ready yet. Maybe when we look at this, we can see in Job 33 and verse 24, this is what it takes for a man and a woman to enter the kingdom. Job chapter 33 and verse 24. Then, young Elihu says, in the spirit, then, he is gracious unto him. You see, it takes grace, brothers and sisters. It takes grace. It takes grace for you to be saved. To realize I'm unworthy of what you'll give me. And I'm unworthy of what you've done for me. And I'm unworthy of the cross. And I'm unworthy of the blood that you shed. And I know I'm a sinner on the broad road to destruction who will end up in a devil's hell. I'm going to the pit. Now, we could make it easy for you. We could get Gordon Foster up here at the end of the meeting and he could lift that microphone. And we could play the tune and we could say, you know, if you come up to the front here and just stand along here, we're going to tell you how to have a nice day. We're going to make it five easy ways into the kingdom. We're going to tell you here's ten ways to have a blessed week. Oh, that's nice and easy. And it sounds good and you'll go home feeling great. But you'll not be saved. You won't be saved. It takes grace. The grace of God. He says, and he's gracious on them. God has been gracious to me. God has been gracious to many here. And his grace says, deliver him. Deliver her from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. It's off me, saith the Lord. See, salvation is off the Lord. Notice this. Even though Job feared God and astute evil and was perfect in all his ways, it still couldn't justify him. And he tried to justify himself. And this young man, Elihu, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. The inspirational breath of God comes on him. And he sees these three men in their stupidity, in their lifelessness. He sees them with man's mentality. And he looks at them through the eyes of God, through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, and the eyes of anointing. And he says, oh, how revolting men are in the sight of God. Let me give my opinion, he says. But really his opinion was not his, but God's. He's gracious, he says. The word here, to be gracious, means to show favor or to show pity, to favorably incline towards one, to make acceptable. He's saying God shows favor to the sinner. God shows favor and pity to man and to woman. It's God who makes us acceptable. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are accepted in the beloved. Now, the beloved isn't the church there. Dear, help us if it is. Accepted in the beloved means we're accepted in Christ. Notice, we always, at times, we hear people, that's auction Christ often. We try and coax and we try and vibrate. And even, yes, as Paul says, we persuade all men. But sometimes we persuade and we persuade and we persuade and we're nearly auctioning Jesus off. But rather, it doesn't matter how often we try to push on you. 
if you're ready for the picking and you're ready to bend the knee and you're ready to give yourself to Christ, then you must come. And it's time the sinner said, Lord, please accept me. And you're accepted in the beloved. We like to get it up. Let's bring people in. Oh, you know, it's so easy. Oh, it's free for you. But it cost him everything. Here we have him saying, Elihu. And listen, maybe Elihu was speaking from a little experience here. Let me give you an idea why. Names in scripture can mean something that happened or something prophetic to happen. Elihu means he is my God. He is my God. His father's name was Barak El. El is for God. Elohim. El Shaddai and so on. And so El Ihu means he is my God. His father's Barak El, which means God whom God blessed. So he is my God. His father's name was whom God blessed, Barak El. He was known as a, a Buzite. Buzite means contempt. Contempt. Was it possible that his kindred or his people were a strong, high, and exalted people among men? But Elihu's family fell into contempt at some stage. And everyone looked at them with contempt. But grace lifted his father, Barach El, and so he's called, whom God blessed. And then he has Elihu, who then he can cry, He is my God. That should be the cry of every sinner, every man and woman, to realize we're contemptible, to realize that we are lost and we are unable to save ourselves. We're unable to rescue ourselves. But God and his grace and mercy, the word grace also is the word is kanan and comes from the root word kian, which means, gives the idea one bowing down or stooping down in kindness to an inferior. When the great superior, almighty God our Father, bowed down and stooped down in kindness to the inferior, who is me, who is you, the contemptible ones who he then brings up and God blesses us through the gospel and God blesses us through the blood of Jesus and God blesses us through his cross and, and his finished work and God blesses us with his Holy Spirit and God blesses us with his word and he lifts us up to we cry, he is my God. He's my God. Can you say that tonight? Can you say that tonight? He's mine. Dear Savior, thou art mine. How sweet the thought to me. Let me repeat thy name and lift my heart to thee. You're mine. Hallelujah. Is it yours? Is it yours? This young man with the Spirit of God comes and says, Let me speak and let me talk. Will you listen? Job 33 and 24, he says, The Lord is saying he's gracious unto him. Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Friend, we're still in the age of grace. We're still in the days of grace when God says to, to you, he says to me to preach to you. He 
saying, deliver them from going down to the pit. Show them my grace. For I have found a ransom. Notice it's off me, it's not of you. And you must accept it. The word ransom here is the word kofar, and it means the price of a life. Think about that. I have found, listen, the price of a life. I have found the price of a life. I'm going to say it again. God says, Elihu, tell them, Ken, tell them, I have found the price of a life. And he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I have found the price of a life. George Haddon Spurgeon said, this ransom is the invention of divine wisdom. Divine wisdom it takes to say through your shed blood of a lamb, I will accept you, even though your sin is so horrific. I have found the price of a life, my son, my only son, my only begotten son, the price for your life. Oh, friend, ask yourself the question and answer it in your heart. What would you give to God? What ransom could we offer since he has found the ransom, since he gave the ransom, since he sent the ransom? Since he paid it all. Job 33 and verse 26 says, He shall pray unto God, he will be favorable unto him, he shall see his face with joy, and he will render unto man his righteousness. Here, under the anointing of the Spirit, the influence and the inspiration of God, Elihu starts to prophesy. The ransom to come, the Lord Jesus. You'll receive his righteousness. It's beautiful. Rotten, filthy me. Rotten, stinking, filthy, guilty, hell-deserving me. I'm righteous because of him. First Timothy 2 and 6, Paul says, of the Lord Jesus who gave himself a ransom. Notice, Jesus gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. See, we're testifying of he is the ransom for your soul. Do you know, God delights in converted man and God delights in converted woman because when he sees the man and he sees the woman who are converted, he delights in them because when he looks at them, he sees the work of his son. 
He sees the blood that he shed. He doesn't see what we have done or what we could ever give. He doesn't even see our sin anymore. He delights that these degenerate creatures who are fallen, who are depraved and unable to save themselves, that he has taken us and lifted us up. That he has saved us and paid the ransom for us. And he sees us through his son. Job 36 and 18 brings a different note. This is the ransom that cannot pay your debt. There's one and only ransom is the one that Christ is. And then there's the ransom that cannot pay your debt. Job 36 verse 18 says, And because there is wrath, beware. Oh, God is so loving. He warns us. He warns you. Beware, he says. Lest he take thee with his stroke. Right in the middle of the night. Maybe when you're sleeping. Walking to work. Sitting in the car. Getting on with your daily duties. Suddenly you're gone. I had an uncle. I was sitting on a settee. Tying his shoelace. He was singing some song. I don't know what it was. My aunt was telling me it was some song from the 50s. I don't know what it was. And my aunt was in the kitchen. And she shouts in, Roy, will you stop singing? That's a terrible noise. And he's tying his shoelace and he's messing around and he goes to get up and he, he dies. Just keels over, he's gone. And he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. You see, beware lest he take thee with a stroke then, when you're gone. You see, it is appointed unto men once to die after this, the judgment. And notice here he says, he says, when he takes you, if he takes you with a stroke, then a great ransom, a great ransom. Notice it's not just a ransom, a great ransom. There's nothing you can muster. There's not enough you can give. A great ransom cannot deliver thee. Listen to the words of Psalm 49. Psalm 49, verse 6, reading onwards. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by, by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. I remember when I pastored down in Dublin. I'm away there from there about 12 years now. But when I was pastoring down in Dublin, and one Sunday we're coming up through Dundalk, it was before the motorway was built, and and we're coming up in the car, and uh, Jody was only about two, I think it was, or three, and Ellie was about one or two or whatever. But they're little, just wee babies. And Alison was with me in the car, and we're driving up through Dundalk, and it was chock-a-block. We, we couldn't move, and we had to park the car, and we ended up, we went for a walk. And there was masses of people everywhere, and we wondered what it was. But what it was was the priest was round blessing the graves, and they were paying money. 
to get their loved ones out of purgatory. And he was blessing the graves to speed up the process. Paying a ransom. But it's too late. And the people are blinded by it. The place was heaving with people. So sincere. Really sincere. Deeply religious people. Really caring about their loved one who's gone. Thinking we can pay them out. We can pray them out. But friend, they couldn't get them out. Because it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. None of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious. And it ceaseth forever. Listen. The redemption of their soul is precious and it ceases forever. When they're gone, it's too late. When you're gone, it's too late. He that should still live forever and not see corruption, for he saith the wise men die and likewise the fool. The British person perish and leave their wealth to others. In other words, the Lord's saying, when you're gone, this world will drop off you. But the next world will lay hold on you. And you cannot pay the ransom. Mark 8. Chapter, chapter 8, pardon me. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world? And lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, if you were to get everything this world could afford, we think of them billionaires now. You know, used to be when I was young, you were a millionaire. You were, you, you were so rich that it was unimaginable. Now it's you're a, you're a billionaire. Even trillionaires. <coughs> Gather all their wealth and everything we could find in the earth and the ground, the oil. All the riches, the diamonds, the gold, the jewels, everything we get, the bonds, the bank money. If we could get it all and keep printing and say to God here, I want to save the soul of a lady sitting in on it more her home. Listen tonight, Lord. Will you save her? You'll say no and reject it. And they reject it. But why, Lord, look at all of this. Like Cain, here's my offering. He says, you'd have to come my way through the blood. I've found a ransom. My son died for you. Don't you think he'll come another way? What will you give in exchange for your soul? So, so I'm closing. Listen to a wonderful portion of scripture. Lovely verse for those who are ransomed. Isaiah 35 and verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Notice, and sorrow and sang shall flee away. Oh, let me read it again. The ransomed of the Lord. That is the blood bought. The sea of those who are trusting in Christ. 
The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Isn't that a marvelous thing? Do you know I have loved ones who have passed away? My wife mentioned it briefly last night in her testimony. And I'll tell you, I know there's other ones of you who have lost loved ones recently too. And it breaks your heart. It breaks your heart. But you know what? When they're in the Lord, they're just a wee bit before us. And we're going to see them again. And we'll all be joyful. That two sisters died in the same week. Started at the graveside of one, and she was saved. We went to the hospital, they were going to take an ill, and she died in a couple of days. We buried her the same week. It was hard. But you know what? They gave themselves to Christ. My dad took ill over the stress of it, and he died. I nursed him, and he died shortly after it. Do you know what? He gave himself to Christ. And my mum, she's dead 20 years next month. And you know what? She was a, a good Presbyterian woman, went to Presbyterian church all the time. Good living, didn't go out in her drinking or doing anything like that. Good mother, a really good mother. Loved her with all my heart. And I still do. She's seen something in this rotten vagabond you're listening to tonight. This one who was in the world and getting up to all things and alcohol and drugs. She's seen my life go down the drain. She was worried sick about me. And one day, when I'd get saved, and I was saved just a matter of months, maybe, a couple of months, she says to me, so what have you got that I haven't got? She rhymed off all her religion and her church. I says, Mom, I have Jesus. I have Christ. And she gets saved in a hospital bed. And she passed away a few months later. Now let me tell you, I miss them. But we sorrow not as others which have no hope. Didn't say we don't sorrow. He says, just as those that have no hope. You see, the hope is this. That they've been ransomed. They've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And there's going to be a day when we're with our loved ones again. We're going to see them. Oh, friend, deliver him from going down to the pit. Thank you, Jesus. I have found a ransom for him. I found a ransom for her. William Cooper wrote, Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. You know when that happens? When Christ returns. Changes our vile bodies to be fashioned like unto his own glorious body. What a gospel. What a Christ. What a saviour. There's someone heading for the pit. There's someone heading for the pit. The ransom's been paid. If you reject the ransom, if you reject Christ, then you will go to the pit.